0: Oh, my goodness. Thanks for listening. You're in for an absolute treat today. I am speaking to Janice Eisman, who is a founder of My Body Couture, and, and she helps people feel better in their body. Like most business owners today, she sees clients online and in person, and her speciality is helping p- people rid themselves of pain. She's highly certified in both fitness and nutrition modalities and has been quoted as a lifestyle expert in Reader's Digest prevention and women's health but she's not just a textbook of knowledge with a wall full of certifications she is a very real person who has lived through her own lifestyle and body challenges in her one to one sessions she therefore provides practical solutions for her clients taking the time to get to know their lifestyle challenges and provide reasonable solutions with her lively personality and approachable manner this is a woman you really want to know but Janice is going to be speaking to us with a slightly different hat on today. She wrote an article about this time last year, which f- was featured and is one of the best articles in 2020 on the Elephant Journal. And it was entitled, I'm not a single parent, I'm a lone parent, and it's fooking hard. <laughs> my, my love, I am so thrilled to have you here. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's so good to see you. And I think right off the bat, I want to distinguish the difference here, the difference between a single parent and a lone parent, because I have loads of clients who are, to use their phrase, single mums, single parents. And this really sort of piqued my interest when you sort of went, "Uh uh-uh, there is a difference.
1: I'm a (laughs) lone parent and there is a difference. So tell tell me about that. So a single parent can actually include lone parents. Lone parents are somebody, it often is frankly and unfortunately females, but who end up without a second parent. So there is no second caregiver. There's no second person on any sort of legal document that is sharing custody, sharing finances. There's a lot of reasons why people end up in this scenario it could be that somebody's widowed, or if it's male, is a widower. The second party may have actually completely opted out of the situation, and that tends to be why there are a few more women in that scenario. It could be somebody who's done it by choice. Um, I actually do know a single, alone parent who's male, a dad who hired a surrogate. So he is a lone parent by choice. Many women will also do that if they cannot find a partner or they have decided that they would like to go ahead due to their biological age. There is a whole category of mums called single mums by choice. So that is a category of lone parents. So there's a number of reasons why people can end up in this scenario. And some of them are by choice, some of them are not by choice, but essentially it is parenting with 24-hour day custody. And that doesn't mean that we don't have support communities. It doesn't mean, actually, I have heard of scenarios where somebody effectively loan parents in terms of time, but they might get a little bit of child support money. But essentially, it is somebody who, for example, I went to court. I have a document that says I am the sole decision maker of every single category. It actually lists um, travel, medical decisions. Got you right. So it's all of that. Detail. Yeah. Right. Yes. and so. One of the things that was really interesting about this article was there was some conversation on Facebook. I mean, that article has been read hundreds of thousands of times. So literally, there was thousands and thousands and thousands of comments on Facebook and just that fine delineation. And it's not super essential that we have an exact definition of this. If you consider yourself a lone parent, you are a lone parent. That's how it is. But usually, it just means that you know, in my case, I don't have somebody to split custody with. There isn't anybody paying child support. So that's a pretty clean definition. There's some some more less black and white scenarios out there. But if you consider yourself to be doing it on your own, you are. Yeah. So that's sort of
0: ringing true now because a lot of the mums I sort of speak to sort of have the custody issues. Yes. So, you know, they're sort of saying all oh, well, the kids are with their dad this weekend, exactly. which quite clearly gives them the respite that they need. Yep. I'm not saying that it's a sort of a bed of roses, but it does no. that 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 sort of time out.
1: Correct. And I, and I want to be super clear that I do not think that one is better or that one is worse or that one is easier or that one is harder. That's not what the purpose of writing this was because I actually do know people that have shared custody agreements that are quite frankly in more difficult scenarios than I am. What I found was that When my child was young, younger than he is now, he's still young. (laughs) I was on a lot of single parent groups, single mom boards. And I just actually, honestly, I didn't relate because there was a lot of conversation. In fact, I would say in those days, I don't know if it's still the case, but the heaviest component of the conversation was about the baby daddies. It was about the money. It was about that kind of relational churn between the child's second parent and the mom who is writing the post. I don't have any of that. And so in that angle, it's way easier. It's way cleaner. I know who my child can rely on. I know who I can rely on. And so I do want to be super abundantly clear that this isn't sort of ranking parents and it's not saying, oh, well, I have it worse because I don't get respite or I have it better because I don't have this. It's simply different in the same way that it's not better or worse to be single or married. It's just a different life experience.
0: I think that's right. And I think the thing is, is that we find ourselves in whatever situations we are in. But I I mean, again, through the very nature of what I do. I find many married mums coming to me who are feeling as though they're doing a lone parenting job who feel lonely in a marriage yeah. and and so you know there are those sort of issues that they're having to contend with as well.
1: Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I actually had one person respond on Facebook that said basically her husband is gone all but 2 days a month and so she feels like she's lone parenting. Well, then then you would can basically be an, a lone parent. I mean, the only difference there is some potential financial difference, but absolutely, I think that people can exist within something even that looks like a relationship and find themselves yeah. very much in a very relatable scenario to what I was authoring in the article. Yeah. So, Janice, how long have you been lone parenting then? Since the moment my child was born, actually, since before he was born. Oh, so, yeah. So it is, I have never actually known parenting in a different way. And I think that that's what, what kind of propelled me in a way to write this article, because when I had a small baby, people actually often assumed that I was married and they would ask me, where's your husband? Where's your partner? And, um, and then I, the most second comment, common comment I would get was, well, it gets easier. It gets easier as your child ages and, At the time when I wrote the, I know. (laughs) Sorry for those that can't see. I'm raising my eyes a bit, but (laughs) then. And at the time when I wrote the article, my child was nine, and yes, I would say it's easier in the sense that I don't need to literally physically have my eyeballs on him every second. But there are things that get much much harder. So. I think when he was seven or eight, I actually connected to a local lone parent group and I was completely taken aback by the age of the children who were there. I expected babies. And I think that that's what we have in our mind. That's what moms need support is when we have babies. What I found was that actually, even at seven or eight, my child was younger than the average age there. So I was really interested to note that the parents who were in my scenario who were really reaching out for help were at that phase where the child has emotional needs that are more complex. Maybe their physical needs are less complex. And for the most part, a lot of that front end support that moms often will get has gone away because Mm -hmm. we assume it quote unquote gets easier And so the average age of the kids, I would say, was closer to 9 to 12. And at that point, I'm feeling that now, where society's expectations of what my child can deliver have escalated. We are doing extracurricular activities in a non-COVID world. He's expected to do homework. He needs to develop a chore habit. There's expectations of his behavior. None of this is bad or wrong, but... It's actually a heavier load on my shoulders in many ways than when he was two. And I just simply had to make sure he wasn't picking up knives or turning on the burner. Because now we're getting into ages where he has complexity of social scenarios. He has complexity of emotions. He has things that he needs to societally deliver on in the same way every other child does. So that load gets heavier. And I think now that's why... A lot of lone parents will kind of reach out when the children are older for support because that load actually gets heavier. And we have no more resources today than we probably did when they were small.
0: And I think this is the thing is the fact that we, as soon as we are thrown into this sort of ring, the arena of parenting, it's, it's a bit of a dance and we have to learn the steps, whether or not it's, a, you know, you, you, you're sort of dancing alone or whether or not you're dancing with others. That, that's the sort of, that's immaterial. The point is we have to learn what we're doing. And we, we get to the stage where, as you say, society sort of does that, oh, you've been doing it long enough, you must know what you're doing now. And yet yeah. these goalposts keep on changing. And changing they do in in a most alarming rate round the sort of the tween and the teenage years. And we're playing catch-up, and I can only imagine the the maybe pressures or the burden or what I don't know if those are the right words, but the responsibility that is placed on you solely. Because sometimes I just return to my husband and go, Well, I don't have a bloody clue what I'm doing. And and thankfully he's able to switch in. And it's as you say, it's not always about financial, it's just about sharing the load of it. That's right.
1: Yes. I definitely feel like there was a few things I noticed earlier in my parenting life in terms of being a married parent is as different from being a single parent as being a single parent is from being a lone parent. Yeah. And I think the emotional load is one of the biggest areas because I can get a family member or a friend to babysit, but it's very different than, and I can earn my own money, But I do not have somebody else that is in my home or that even isn't in my home that I can bounce ideas off, come up with strategies, come up with plans, kind of have one consistent discipline plan or one consistent plan for a schedule that I've worked out with somebody and then we kind of follow that. So I'm kind of, you know, we're all doing this as parents. We're flying in the dark, Mm -hmm. but to not have that other voice to bounce off to not have that other voice. Even when I say I'm at capacity, can you just do this for a minute? That's where I actually have personally felt the lone parenting because it's not about community support. It's actually about support for myself. And that can be really hard when I know that we're all supposed to be doing our self-love and our self-care, but there is only so much capacity sometimes for that. And it is just—it's a—it's a phenomenally different scenario to have somebody else to turn to and say, "Well, what do you think? Let's talk through this."
0: Because I am a huge advocate of self-care, recharging your batteries, and we all need that, which—which which is great. I mean, I appreciate that, but. When you are doing this lone parenting, I mean, you know, and I know there will be many parents because I have many clients who who are, um, you know, sort of in the same sort of scenario as you. But there will be many listening who are going, oh, my gosh, she's sort of speaking my language. So, Janice, just tell us, how have you personally, because in your article, you did actually say it was fucking hard. So, yeah, how have, <laughs> it is. How have you? navigated your own lone parenting dance so that it sort of fits for you.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I we are recording this during COVID and sometimes I'm like I have no idea. I don't even remember. <laughs> um so The COVID landscape looks very different in our home as it does for everybody globally, I think. It's
0: thrown a real cat amongst the pigeons, hasn't it? Yes, it has.
1: And so I think that that has created extra difficulty in a lot of ways because now I sort of laugh. I'm like, you know how two-year-olds play beside each other and they'll be sort of they. They're playing, but they're not actually interacting with each other. I feel like that's where we are in our home because I will actually go to my son and say, "Do you want to hang out right now?" And he's like, "I'm sick of you." (laughs) (laughs) So we're kind of coexisting in a space where we haven't seen anybody else for, yeah, you know, it's approaching two months now, and he's just over me, and you know, we're just making it through here. Um, So before
0: that, on that school, no. So, so I don't wanna it's
1: just be easier, does it? <laughs> uh, actually it's funny because when when the COVID shutdowns first happened, I was like, huh, there are ways in which I'm am, I am really equipped for this because I have had low levels of community support. And so removing that support isn't going to be as shocking for me as it might be as it might otherwise be. However, it's it's had its own special other batch of, of fun. So I'm going to just, I wanted to just kind of clarify that because what I'm about to say doesn't necessarily fit the COVID landscape because there's just things we can't really do.
0: And here's hoping we leave that COVID landscape far behind yeah. very shortly.
1: <laughs> this, is, this is true. So when my son was, you know, I don't remember how old he actually was, but I have a distinct memory of laying in the top bunk of his bunk bed and it was dark in the room. My son had fallen asleep and I was just like the blackness of the room. And you know, when you're in a bunk bed and the ceiling's really low, like if you sit up, you're going to bonk your head so that that claustrophobic space and the dark was how my body felt. And I just have that fixed moment in time where I just was like, I'm literally going to suffocate from the black hole of this because it was in that phase where I would, (laughs) I was trying to get my home organized. I was a new business owner and anytime I would attempt to do a task, he would wander off somewhere and create a mess that was actually more time consuming to clean up than if I had just not tried to get anything done. So I was physically burned out. I was mentally burned out. I was frustrated because it was really hard to move anything forward. I was constantly living in a mess. Every parent, can relate to this on a level. yeah. And I remember saying to friends, like the problem isn't any of the tasks. It does only take a second to change over the laundry. It only takes a minute to do these dishes. But at the end of the day, I run out of energy. I'm not a robot. I'm not capable of just constantly doing and working and doing and doing and giving to my child and giving to my business, there's nothing left. And so I would just, I mean, I literally, there's points in that period where I don't actually really remember. I have photos, thankfully, but just, I was so exhausted that I think things weren't going into my long-term memory. So I remember laying in the bed thinking, "Ah, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And my child's only 10 and when I talk about him being three or four, that's not actually that many years ago, but the Facebook landscape has changed. So I went onto Facebook in those days. Actually, there weren't a lot of single parenting groups. And today there's, there's groups for everything and every category and every niche. And It's all there, but I posted something. I don't even know what I said, but basically like, I don't know how I'm going to make it to tomorrow. And a lot of the responses were, you got this. And I was like, I get that that is well-meaning. I get the intention behind this. I understand, but where are the tips? Yeah. (laughs) Where is the action item that I can follow right now? Because I feel like it's black and I'm going to suffocate and I don't feel like I quote unquote got this. And at that point I realized that I don't, I don't think anybody else in that group knew what the hell they were doing. Either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so it was a huge change moment because I thought this is not working for me. Nobody can tell me how to do this. And actually that is a moment when I actually really was very patently aware of the difference between single parents and lone parents. Cause that is a moment where, there was no respite in terms of care. There was no financial help coming. There was no me time. And so that was the biggest thing that kept getting repeated to me over and over and over again. You've got to take me time. And I had been looking for that me time. And at that moment, I realized I was alone and I was waiting for this me time. And I was waiting for this feeling of confidence to come over me. And I was waiting to feel like I actually did have it. And it was never coming. And I'm not going to pretend it was the next day. But the biggest change I made from that moment forward was I'm not getting me time. (laughs) So stop trying to find it. So how do I actually exist as a parent within this relationship with my child and actually not come to that burnout place? And what I really came up with was I literally took out a piece of paper. So he was old enough to have preferences, which... I mean, a child as young as two has them. He knew what he liked. I knew what I liked. I wrote it down and found where that Venn diagram middle space was. And so we would go out and we would do we things where I would feel like I was getting my time to refresh, my time to relax, my time to get sustained. He would enjoy it. And so this is really not what most North American parents do. But I actually refused to go to those indoor play places because that wasn't on my list. I hate hate them. I refuse to take him to kids shows or things at the theater that I wasn't going to also get some enjoyment out of. And what I kept hearing was, well, the biggest passion in your life is the joy that this stuff brings your child. And I'm like, actually, no, because if the captain of this ship sinks, the whole Titanic goes down and we can just as easily go to a show dedicated to different content. He doesn't even know that the that the kids only show exists. <laughs> he know? yeah, he doesn't know what he's missing, does he? No, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's like sacrilegious, but I actually hate playgrounds. I I would rather stab myself in the eye than go push him on a swing, even though he he loved it. I'm like, that's it. I'm not taking you to the playground anymore. Um, and so. There was a ton of stuff that we got rid of that I felt like I should be doing. Yeah. But I actually didn't want to. But there was a ton of stuff that we were able to find that both of us equally enjoyed. None of those things are currently available, but that's a separate issue. So, you know, we both loved going to the library. We both loved going to museums. We both loved going to shows and concerts. And I just chose ones that we would both enjoy. We both like going to festivals and we volunteered at a bunch of things and we had we had a great time. And I never once felt like, oh, my weekend is being taken up by taking my child to things.
0: You see, that that's the thing. And this is one, you know, sort of it's it's a very sort of British um, thing is is for sort of mums to have the mum guilt um, yeah, that that's actually that that's just sort of global. But it's yeah. that I'm putting myself first. How very very selfish of me. How, yeah, and I think the thing is is that actually, as you rightly say, the captain of the ship needs to be on the top of the agenda because otherwise it ain't happening, is it? And s- And so to be able to realize that actually to avoid this suffocation, that bleakness, that I as you rightly say loads of you know parents, I don't I can't I would be doubtful to think that you know any parents have escaped that at any you know at some stage oh,
1: absolutely yes but, this is not just in the territory of lone parents no, no no it's not but I think
0: the thing is is that I've had those bleak spaces but I have been able to say here take the kids because yeah. I can't and to actually acknowledge that you know for, for someone like yourself that isn't even an option I it's I never can't, coming I heartily salute you. There is no
1: cavalry. And- no, there's no cavalry. And actually, the other thing, I laugh about it now, but I think that there's such a there's such a movement towards mom should just have a glass of wine and relax. I'm like, okay, but tomorrow I have to parent with a hangover. <laughs> Please, can someone, can someone just join the dots here? (laughs) Yeah, this doesn't work. Uh, I had so many people tell me that I quote unquote needed a night out. And I'm like, wow, the cost of a night out for me is that I have to take my child to a babysitter. Now, I am lucky that I have a family member that lives 20 minutes away, but 20 minute drive there, 20 minutes to the drink, 20 minutes back to get him, 20 minutes back to my house, 80 minutes for a drink. That's supposed to be this me time, this relaxation time. It doesn't. And that's where the lone parent really does have that extra cost for absolutely everything we do, because it's either call a babysitter to the house or drive somewhere for somebody in the community to do it. And that drink is suddenly something that, you know, if we have a partner, if we have shared custody, we could just simply walk out of the house and get that done without the $50 in babysitting or the 80 minute drive.
0: And I think... I think it's it's a note to self how naive I've been when I'm sort of saying you know that me time is so important and it's not selfish and it's important to put yourself on the agenda but sometimes that is well it just has to it just has to materialize in a different guise doesn't it, it That's it right. just you know and so it it is so bloody important for lone parents to put themselves first And as you rightly say, the kids are not going to suffer. The kids are going to be able to find that we time in the Venn diagram without you having to um, sort of sacrifice your sanity, for want of a better phrase. That's
1: right. And in fact, I actually mentioned this in the article, but I think that my child, again, pre-COVID, has had a much more interesting life than he otherwise would have because, for example a friend did came to our city and was the lead performer in an opera and she gifted us two tickets now if i had a partner i would have actually taken the adult yeah. but instead my child got to come and then we got to go backstage How we got funny it was super cool. We got to go to the staff party because we happened to actually be there on closing night. And it was really funny. We were laughing, um, my girlfriend and I, because it's like, well, you know, he thinks this is what the opera is now. He doesn't realize (laughs) you don't get to go backstage. You don't get to have the pizza party afterwards. Um, But he's gotten to do a lot of things like that because that's what's been afforded to me in my life. And he's my plus one. I never felt like He really wants to be at a kid's show instead. He didn't know and he didn't pick. And as he ages, of course, he will be able to make those choices as a teenager. But I think so many times I look at travel. So I have with my professional job, I've taken two international trips where I have been teaching at resorts and he came with me and he's gotten to go on these international trips. And because there's only two of us, again, He gets to sit in the front seat Mm -hmm. right along with me. We're both having that experience. I do take pleasure in his excitement and enthusiasm, but I can also be really present and, and be in that moment for myself. And that's how I get my me time just as I would if I wasn't in this scenario. And so we've created that we time instead of me time because me time for me doesn't exist so
0: how i i am just wondering so how old's your son? he's ten now, right, okay, so that is going to i mean gosh, he's just embarking on the teenagers and yes. it's sort of if he's on he's probably still still on the cusp, but that is going to introduce probably um i was going to say a sense of freedom for you to an extent, yes, but also that sort of those big decisions and those big sort of moments that you're going, how, how, how do you anticipate coping
1: with that? Well, that's a great comment. I noticed that during the pandemic arose, it was kind of opportunistic plus his age, but it was the very first time that I could actually leave the house and leave him. So I can't speak obviously for, Britain, but certainly within North America, we have basically had an unwritten law that you don't leave children under the age of 10 or 12 at home. Uh-huh. That would be yeah, a big yeah, concern. Yeah. I noticed that during COVID, I laughed because I was like, it's a bigger risk inside the home than outside the home at the moment. <laughs> I saw so many unsupervised kids in parks and on the streets. Um this summer, because I think we just, we did collectively just decide, you know, eight or nine is fine this year. Um, so I started actually going for walks and he would stay in the apartment. Um, I did something I thought that I would never ever do. And I got him a cell phone and, you know, we, we've been just fine because he knows how to call the fire department. He knows where the police station is. He knows how to make a phone call. He knows our address. He knows my phone number. He has really good sense of, kind of where he is and so I have actually been able for the very first time in parenting to leave him for short windows and I'm not talking about leaving all day and going to work I mean going for a walk getting some exercise and actually being by myself or with a friend and that has been quite a huge change he's not he doesn't love it but it's it's actually given the circumstances that we're in it's literally essential
0: (laughs) It, it is essential. And and it is also arming him with the independence that he's going to be sure. wired for and the independence that he's going to need to start sort of, sure. you know, learning himself. So sure. um, and actually, it's usually it's the other way around is the fact that the kids are wanting to sort of, can I just go to town? Can I just, and you know, sure. the parents are sort of trying to hold them back. So it's actually. To, to keep him to keep him stuck
1: at home is probably a safer way of him learning that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's true. It's true. So this year, I actually got a therapist. So the answer to how do I equip myself for somebody else to help make decisions, I have a mental health doctor for myself and I have a therapist for him. Now, we're not going to kind of keep the therapist long term, but what she has worked with us on is some fundamental foundational parenting skills. Um, because actually, most of us have the parenting skills that we were given by our own parents. So I've and I've done a lot of work around my building my own emotional toolkit. You know, I was a child in the 70s. We definitely still had the rule by by measure. Never let the children manipulate you. Yeah. What I What I say goes. I'm the parent. So therefore, it is. And so I've navigated through different components of trying to build that toolkit for myself, but we weren't quite there. So just in that, I mean, it was not easy, but I actually think it it will help prepare for some of those teen years because I I gave birth to a negotiator. <laughs> oh, my God. you've got your work cut out for you, then. Yeah. <laughs> so just due to the heightened time that we were spending together during COVID there were some issues that I felt were kind of arising that did feel over my head. So during this moment, I have actually enlisted outside help. And, you know, I'm so happy that I did that, because I think that I can read books. And I, I thought that some of these things I either had under control, or I was managing, or didn't apply to me. And so books don't give you sort of that customized help. Yeah. And I think that's what we need.
0: Have you got any pearls
1: of wisdom you can share that spring to mind? Well, actually the number one thing that we have really learned, I, I, you know, I'm sort of sighing because I'm like, it sounds so easy, but really praise the child more and nag less. So that wasn't really happening in our home. I would giving fifteen or sixteen instructions. Get your pants on, brush your teeth, get your pants on, brush your teeth. Yeah. Yeah. And now we have it down to one. I say it once. And if it's not done, then we have to do extra chores or lose some TV time or whatever whatever it is. But then also really acknowledging, really praising those good moments and even things that seem mundane. I do have an expectation. He does chores. I do have an expectation. He does homework, but just taking that time to stop and say, great. How do you feel that you got your homework done? I'm really happy. I'm really proud of you for actually pushing through that. Even though I know that it was so boring to learn how to do two digit multiplication. (laughs) And so what we're really focused on is building that foundation of our relationships so that we have those positive moments and we're trying to whittle down those negative ones I don't know that that's some sort of genius tip but I would have knew coming into this that we had an amazing relationship and there was still work to do
0: and I think that's the thing and 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 it, sometimes we just do need a, a different perspective on things mm-hmm. and you know it's it sort of I, I hear so many parents who sort of go yeah we're doing okay. It's fine. We're doing okay. And actually it's only when someone shines a light when you sort of, well, okay, that that's great, but it could be better. And that's so right. how, how brilliant is that? And so it's just, it's just getting another pair of eyes to sort of say, have you tried this? And because you don't know what you don't know, do you? That's
1: right. That's right. And we are all, like I said, we're, we're building from how we were parented and nobody was teaching our parents how to parent. Nobody taught my grandparents how to parent. And a lot of the things that were enacted actually were some sort of cultural model of how to do it. It didn't mean that we actually had any scientific evidence that it was helpful. In fact, things like spanking kids and yelling at kids was kind of how things were often done. But, you know, along came the 1990s. We could stick human brains in MRIs and actually see that it was damaging. So I think that a lot of. A lot of how people learn to parent is is not based on science. it's just based on well, my parents did it, it worked out or yeah. this is the skill set and toolkit that I have, and it's fine. So I think that there are mental health supports in both of our countries that are either low cost or free to access, or you know and i and I really I feel like it's super imperative that that we actually move forward with some of those because when we hear community, when we hear it takes a village that used to just grind on me like a chalkboard because I'm like, what I know for sure is that the moments when we most need that village and we most need that community, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you're laying on the ground. You can't even, you don't even have the strength to stand up and ask for it. You don't know who to ask. I, I actually moved when my son was a year old. And so I came into a city where I had no network. Well, how do you build that at the same time that you need that help it's it's how, it's, how it, did you cope with that it's hard yeah. so there's an assumption that people should have the skill set to build that community and build that network and that it's instant and it's not yeah. and i actually now have so much compassion for people that come from at the end of it i come from a lot of privilege i'm i grew up in a middle class home I have a university degree. I was in my thirties when I gave birth. So I had emotional maturity. I also had accumulation of, you know, I owned bed. I owned a table. I I owned an adult life worth of stuff. I had, I have parents who are alive and who are married. I have siblings. I'm white that I have so many levels of privilege that I recognize that, Not everybody has. I have thought many times to what this experience would be like if I was a 16-year-old Black girl living in Compton. This is not the same. And so we speak culturally like it takes a village, build that community. Well, there are people who actually don't have anybody to be in their community. There are people who don't have all those privileges that I just named. So I did it through, you know, I... I opened a business, I get to meet lots of people, I social and outgoing. And even then, this was a very, very, very difficult task, because what I found myself kind of stuck in was I didn't have time to make friends. (laughs) And I was kind of a misfit, to be honest. And I think that as he's aged, more and more people divorced, it's not a big deal. But a child under five, it's not that common to be in that kind of scenario. So I would go hang out with the single people, but it was super socially awkward because they would get together for drinks at five. I was leaving work, picking up my child, driving him to my sister's, arriving at that table at 6.30. And by seven, they were all wrapping up. And then I had to reverse the whole process. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I did all this for 30 minutes of, you know, and then um, I found that the moms groups often had, meetups at 10 in the morning while I was at work, yeah, et cetera. So yeah, kind yeah. of, and and it was just really difficult to kind of build those social inroads. And it wasn't, it, it wasn't any one person or one scenario. It was that I had to work four times as hard to actually meet someone. And then when I met someone, it's not like I was in the position to be, hi, nice to meet you. Uh, we babysit my child. Yeah. <laughs> so I built that through years and through the privileges of my job. But one of the biggest changes for me actually was it was in a it was in a similar era. I think he was a little older, I would say 5. I was actually looking for supports for us and discovered a program which is unfortunately not in existence anymore and It it honestly has been my favorite experience of my life. I found a mentorship program for young moms and there was no prerequisite for these women to be teenagers, but most of them had given birth as teens. And there was no prerequisite that the women had to be single, but most of them were single moms. And I ran across this on the internet while I was looking for a mentorship program for my own son, but it Mm -hmm. struck me. I want to do this. And so although I didn't have time to volunteer, that's exactly what I did. He and I volunteered for this program, which was called Motherhood Matters. And it was a year-long mentorship program where we spent nine weeks getting to know the young women. And then we had the opportunity to do mentoring. And it was so gratifying because it completely reframed my own situation. And it reframed how there's benefits at every age and in every circumstance and that we all can be empowered to make the best of our circumstances and to see it. And I actually did it twice because I loved it so much. And then they folded the program, but I would do it another hundred times.
0: I I think I'm just listening to you. And I think the thing is, is what we um, sometimes don't do, especially when we feel that our backs are against the wall, but it's giving ourselves permission to, um, walk by the beat of our own drum. Yes. Yeah, yeah and And you know whether or not, as you say, whether or not it's one of the sort of sixteen year old mums or whatever that you were sort of mentoring yeah. or whether or not it's yourself with a sort of you know who 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 is as you sort of said with more emotional intelligence with a sort of five year old child or whatever, or even if it's sort of someone you know like me who again is privileged and and just has managed to sort of stay under the same roof as my husband yeah. um, knows how sometimes I think he deserves a trophy but you know it's it's. I think it's very easy to compare and it's very easy yes. to sort of say, well, they've got it right. Why can't I do it like that? And it, it's just, I think we should, when we take the pressure off yeah. copying others and being like other people and actually let's work out what suits me, my situation and my own family unit, however right. large or small it is, does that take the pressure off, Janice, does it? I think so.
1: Because what I that was one of the things I did really learn from that experience was that no matter what circumstance we're in, and no matter how dark and claustrophobic that felt, I could see assets that I had, I could see things that were really going right. And it doesn't mean that things were going wrong or that these young women had no assets. In fact, one of the most awesome conversations I had, um, you know, we often think, oh, teen moms, that would be so hard. And I was chatting with one of the women who had given birth as a teen. And I was, we were kind of comparing notes on on our different experiences. And it was fascinating to learn from that. But she's like, oh my goodness, it sounds so hard to be a mom in your thirties. I'm glad that I did this when I was young. And that moment I was like, you know, that is actually life-changing because I think we can get into these phases and these spaces where we just feel sorry for ourselves. And we feel... I just need help. I need somebody to help me. What's, you know, I got to get out of this, but it doesn't matter what our circumstances, we can always find those assets that we have and the joy in that experience. I mean, I am super glad that I wasn't a teenager when I had my baby and she was equally glad she wasn't as quote unquote old as I was when she had hers. Exactly. See, And so our life paths are very different, but we could both see, wow, this is, this really worked for me. And I think that what I, the other thing that I really learned out of that experience was that community and our village is actually a ladder. So to take it outside of friends, that's where the help is. And that's where we can also give to other people. So that completely changed my idea of what a community is. Yeah. It doesn't need to be somebody that we know. It doesn't need to be somebody who we're friends with on Facebook. It doesn't need to be somebody that we're gonna send a Christmas card to. That community can exist in ways that we don't even think about or know that is possible because often community is actually, you know, I've really realized this over COVID too. Community is the lady at the drugstore. <laughs> That checks out my stuff. Community is, it's so funny because I, my office is a commercial space, like it's bricks and mortar. And there has been a gentleman that pops his head in the door periodically and has done so for eight and a half years. I realized in this summer that I never knew this guy's name. We'll stand there and have half an hour chats and he'll say, how's it going? How's your son? I'll ask him all about his stuff. Never knew the guy's name, so he's part of my community. I recognize his face. we have these pleasant conversations. He's definitely part of what I would consider just you know my office landscape. Don't even know his name, have no idea how to find him
0: <laughs> See, it's and but I think the thing is is just taking the blinkers off and just being brave enough just to not even not necessarily asking for help, but just being nope. brave enough just to open up conversations and just yep. to reach out to other people, isn't it?
1: That's right. And I think that that's right. I think that I really shifted from I need to find somebody to help me because that was some other advice that I got, you know, form a babysitting co-op, do this, do that. And I didn't actually want to do any of that. I think what I was really missing was that human connection. Yeah. And some of it didn't have to be deep conversation. Obviously, if this gentleman's popping his head in the door and chatting with me, and I don't even know his name, that conversation isn't going that deep. But it's it feels like connection and care. And somebody's kind of checking on me, and I'm checking on him. And there's that, this is what makes the world go round. Um, so it doesn't, you know, he's never babysat my child. He's never given me anything. There's, there's no kind of tangible benefit, but I think that really reframing what is a community, that community of care actually needs to be there for me as yes, much I as right. my son. And it doesn't need to be in the form of a babysitting co-op. No. That one for me, I was just like, I'm exhausted. I don't have the capacity to take care of three other kids to no, get. No,
0: exactly, into. exactly. But I mean, I think, and I, I often say that um, <clears throat> as individuals, we all want to be loved, understood, and respected. Yeah. And I think even these these half-hour conversations with a guy who's not, who, whose name you don't even know, it's just, I hear you. I see yeah.
1: you. Yeah, that's bad. what it is. That's right. That is worth its weight in gold. That's right. And so when we talk about it takes a village to raise a child, I think that what I really had to learn and I had to learn it the hard way, it actually takes a village to support a parent. (laughs) And that doesn't need to be helping raise the child. That needs to put me in a place where I have the capacity to raise my child yes, there's absolutely been people who do things for him and have helped him and have helped raise him. Yes. A hundred percent. But I had to stop looking for that and start looking for that village to support me and create that knitted blanket around me so that, so that he actually had a parent who was emotionally present and physically capable and et cetera. And I also really had to drop some of the expectations. I had to, (laughs) I believe I mentioned this in the article, but I also gave birth to a child who's a furnace. He runs like, he's so hot. He could literally never have clothes on ever. And so from the time he was born, I remember walking down the street in New York city and he was squealing and crying. And I took his hat off And he stopped crying and not four seconds later, some guy walked by me and he's like, you got to put a hat on that baby. (laughs) And it's always been like that with him. So, so when he was two and three, if I would put, I mean, we live in Canada, it's cold. I put a jacket on him and he would start screaming. So I was like, forget it. I'm not wearing a jacket. And then I would drop him off somewhere and people would be like, why doesn't that kid have a jacket on? but I had to actually just get to a place where I could hear that person shouting and let it go. I had to get to a place where I remember actually kind of having a breakdown because I am not crafty. I do not enjoy this stuff. I don't like it. I, I am artistic in terms of, I write, I take photos. That's it. I do not want on the first day of school, we always see the children standing underneath the tree with the letter board or the chalkboard. The child is this age. Here's the child's hobbies. Here's all the things. And I was like snapping because I'm like, I can barely get my kid to stand in front of the tree. And then I have to take 56 photos for one that sort of looks like he's kind of smiling and he's like literally running away from the camera And I don't, I don't have a chalkboard. I don't have anywhere to store this stuff. And it literally was like, okay, I have to not care what is expected of me. I have to not care and not hear that person who's like, where are his mittens? When. Yeah. It's parking other people's
0: judgment, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And, and unfortunately with, especially with little kids, I mean, we'll see about the teens, but there's a lot of it. Yeah. and just knowing, I mean, I remember having a conversation with a girlfriend, that she was like, you don't enjoy crafting. You don't need to do it. And I was like, huh, that's a really insightful comment. But it actually was a whole process to get rid of that expectation that had been placed on me yeah. that at mom, you have to do these things. You have to have the onesie with the stickers on it and take pictures and, you know, it's, it's been that domestic goddess and that sort of yes. know, that's fantastic. And, and, and
0: actually most of us in fairness are flying by the seat of our pants anyway. So, you know, and it's, it's just releasing that mantle of perfection and expectation of others. And, yes. and, and, and as, as, yeah, it is, it's, it's just walking to the beat. Of yes. Family.
1: And I think again, this is not a lone parent conversation, but I think it gets heightened in the lone parent because Absolutely. we are earning the income all by ourselves. We are managing all of the house chores all by ourselves. There's a comment in that article about how, if I have to put a picture on the wall, I either have to, I'm terrible. No one wants me to hang a photo. I know how to do it, but no one wants me to, and that includes me. So then I have to either pay for it or trade. And I had a Facebook comment once that somebody was like, "Just pick up the damn hammer." But the thing is, yes, but I have to do that in every single avenue of life. Yeah, yes. in the car, I have to put the gas in the car, and it is just it's a, it's a thousand tasks that are all mine. And so at some point, I think that if we have a more shared distribution even if we're like buying we can buy into the crazy we can buy into that domestic goddess thing but for lone parents at some point we have to just put down that gauntlet and say you know what I literally can't I literally fuck the chalkboard yeah (laughs) (laughs) and fuck the mittens also you know and and just actually be willing to take the there is public scrutiny and especially when those kids are young there's public scrutiny and to be able to just say those comments matter less to me than grinding myself into the ground and yeah. pretending on the outside that I'm just going to tow all this because it's, it's less important that he has that chalkboard than he has food or that we have an income, etc.
0: And a loving mum who is keeping her head above water.
1: Correct. Yeah.
0: Correct. Dennis, my love. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I I am going to put obviously a link to um, your art of, article because we referenced it a number of times, and I know it will be a godsend for as this episode will be for many single mums, lone parents, whoever, and and many Everyone. of us. Who, all, I was going to say many of us are taking it all for granted or not quite understanding, you know, sort of the 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 responsibilities but it's uh, you know even if it if it sort of even if it motivates one mum just to reach out um to another mum, that's that's what you know that would be a win but thank you my love so much and i appreciate your time
1: thank you for having me
0: thanks so much for listening to this entire podcast if you want to help other parents looking for support, then please share this with your friends and family. Because if you find this podcast useful, then they will too. So please share by your social media. If you have any parenting questions, then please give me a shout through my email, which is toolbox at And I may even use your question as a future podcast episode. If you want to connect, please come and join me on Instagram. Just search for Kai Graham. Also, could you do me a favor, please? Parenting teenagers can feel very confusing and isolating at times. And I believe that it takes a village to raise a child. And we are here to support one another. I'd love it if you would leave a review on iTunes. And a good one, by the way. (laughs) Because when you do, it lets more parents out there know that there is support for them too. Thank you. And as always, this comes with much love.